I will not spare. Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For, through, <clears throat> for though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when <clears throat> we are weak and ye are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with an holy kiss. All the saints salute you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it does search our hearts, that it often cuts deep, but it also heals. It's also a balm. And I pray this morning that your word will be all of that to us, that it will be surgeon, it will be medicine, and it will be sweetness to us as well. And Lord, I just pray that you would work in our hearts, that each one of us would examine ourselves and do our part to be a unified body, a unified member of your body. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us now, hide me behind the cross, and that your Holy Spirit would bring this message with clarity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We have before us, as we just read, the conclusion of Paul's epistle. It's the second one in our Bibles, as we saw in verse number one. Um, this was the third letter he had written to them. The second one is lost to us today. I assume it was not the inspired word of God, because God has preserved his word for us. So, um, God has given us the ones that we need, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians here. He has dealt with a number of issues. Paul was the person to deal with these issues. He was the founding pastor of the church at Corinth. Corinth was a city in the south of what is modern-day Greece. It was a Roman province. The city was 45 miles west of Athens and was a center of commerce during the days of Paul in the early church. But it was not only a center of commerce, it was a center of immorality. In fact, the city became such, uh, so engrossed in immorality that in days to come, others would speak in the Roman Empire of their city becoming so wicked, they would say, our city has been Corinthianized. So if that gives you an idea of how wicked the city of Corinth was, of course, in Paul's first letter, he had addressed areas of sin that were so gross within the bodies in the body of the church that he said, even the Gentiles in Corinth would not commit the sins that some of you are committing. 
So even the church, very obviously in Corinth, had some serious problems. But he had addressed those problems. He had addressed divisions. They, were, they had a big problem with divisions within the church. Anytime we walk corally, um, carnally, there are, is going to be division. And um, they had division down to the point where one, there was a, at least four factions within the church that Paul mentions. One faction said, I am of Paul, meaning we are disciples of Paul. We like his preaching. We follow what he says. Then there was another minister in their midst, Apollos. And so others would say, I am of Apollos. He's our favorite preacher. We follow what he says. Others would say, I'm of Cephas, or we know him as Peter. And so others were following after Peter's teaching. And then we had a fourth group that said, well, I am of Christ. Now, where that sounds very um, commendable, to say, I'm not a follower of man, I'm a follower of Christ. There can be a lot of pride in that, and if there is, you're not actually a follower of Christ. So we have four factions in the church at least. And so this is causing problems, this is causing divisions. I mean, if you can imagine it, you know, you go to church, and um, when Pastor Hovey preaches, there's the group that says amen. And when I preach, there's the group that says amen. And then there's the preach the, the, the group that boos when I get up to preach. Or maybe some of them get up and leave the room because I'm up to preach. And I think Mrs. Cepeda's already left um, when she saw me getting up. No, she's out there, and I figure she can hear me, so I have to pick at her. She won't walk back in until the end of the service. But there were some serious problems with division in the church. In fact, the division was so serious and it had come to so many levels that there were even problems about special music in church. And you say, well, what are you talking about? Well, in the first epistle, um, Paul says, why is it that when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm? Everybody wanted to sing a special that day. You know, um, I want to be on the list every Sunday. Um, was the attitude of some of them. Some of them wanted to preach every Sunday. I mean, there were some real problems, people showing up, and um, he addressed the issue in 1 Corinthians that you should be doing this to edify others, not to be seen, not to get your chance to put your two cents in, but you should be doing this to build up the body. He had addressed sin issues. He had addressed misunderstandings about marriage. He had addressed a number of issues. And as he did, there had been about a year or so between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, he says, I, I have gotten word that you've been addressing these issues. Some of you have repented. You have turned to the Lord. You're walking in obedience. But some of them had not. And perhaps there were some that on the surface had gotten things right. They were at church. They were no longer arguing about which preacher was their favorite. Um, but deep in their hearts, there was still a problem. There was still division. There was still sin that needed to be repented of. And so he addresses that in 2 Corinthians so he writes this letter addressing these issues, but those were a sidebar for his main purpose of 2 Corinthians. A major reason for writing this letter is because there were some teachers in the church at Corinth who were saying were questioning Paul's apostleship, going even so far as to claim Paul was not even a real Christian. Paul was not even saved. I mean, we can do that real easy sometimes. 
we get a little angry at a brother or sister in Christ that says something we disagree with, and we go, well, they can't even be saved. Why can't they be saved? Because they, God heavens, they believe you have to go through a discipleship program before you can get baptized. Do they even, are they even saved? Um, I've heard some ridiculous reasons for questioning another person's salvation. So as Paul addresses them, I love, he says here, you're questioning my salvation. And he says in chapter 13 and verse five, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Quit looking at everybody else and make sure you're saved. So Paul is addressing himself as their founding pastor, addressing his apostleship, addressing his salvation. And as he comes to the end, he gives them a call to be unified as a body. He mentions here in verse number 11, he mentions six actions that need to take place as he concludes his letter. He calls for them to be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Now, we could take this verse and we could break it apart like this. Number one, the first part of the verse has to do with actions that need to be done in ourselves. When he gives the first two commands, and we'll look at them in a minute and understand why I say this, this is about our hearts. This is very personal. The first is to be perfect, and we'll break that down in a minute and talk about what that means. Secondly, to be of good comfort. Then the next two actions that need to take place are actions that have to do with our interaction with others, and that is be of one mind, live in peace. And then the third section is the actions of God that will take place as a result. He says the God of love and the God of peace will be with you. When God's people, when the church are doing these four, he said these two characteristics of God will be evident in their midst. God's love, God's peace. Now, let's look at this deeper. In his first two commands, his first two commands are, as I've already said, very personal. They are commands. The Greek is actually a passive. Both of these are Greek, uh, in the Greek, are passive verbs. That means that the action is received by the noun. In other words, you within the church at Corinth, He said, you need to be perfect. You're receiving this. This is something that needs to happen to you, in you. Don't go and try to perfect others. Be perfect yourself. When we were working with Ezekiel School in Louisiana, there was a book that in one of the courses, I believe it was in Congregational Song Leading. It was a whole course on conducting, working with orchestra, working with choirs, doing Congregational Song Leading. They had to read a biography about a great song leader that worked with Billy Sunday and um, a couple of other well-known preachers whose names skip me right now. But um, there was something in his biography that talked about when he was in Bible college. He and his classmates had this, this farewell they would give one another. When they would leave one another, they would say, be perfect. They had studied this passage together. And so they understood what that meant. Now, to anybody else outside of their circle, that would sound, wow, (laughs) they think a lot of themselves, don't they? But they knew what they were saying to each other when they said, be perfect. This was something happening in the heart. This command here, perfect, this verb means 
um, completion. In fact, it's used in the Gospel of Matthew, translated with the word mend, like mending a net, hence the picture of men mending a net in the Middle East. The idea was your heart needs to be completed. There are circumstances in life, there are hardships, there are hurts, there are offenses that come that rip our heart. And this command to be perfect is a call to have our hearts knitted, our hearts mended. He says, deal with your own hearts. If we're going to have unity within the body of Christ, we first have to have our own hearts mended. This is a call to maturity. Some would translate this word as be mature. It's a call to grow up. It's a call to maturity. It's a call to repentance. Some would translate this, mend your ways. In other words, there is sin in your heart that needs to be dealt with. But in the overall context here, this is a, a piece of there being corporate unity, corporate restoration. He dealt with at the beginning of this epistle, a brother who had caused offense within the church. He said, y'all have dealt with him. You've punished him. You need to restore him. You need to forgive him. And he was calling for this restoration. But in order for this to truly happen, there has to be restoration in our hearts. You want to fix problems in your marriage, you need to fix problems in your heart first. You need to fix problems with someone else in the church. You need to fix your own heart first. For us to be able to mend relationships with others, our own hearts need to be mended. So he calls for perfection here, a mending of the heart. Then secondly, he calls, be comforted. Be of good comfort, he says here. This word comfort means to be encouraged, to be built up. The idea is it's a person who is at peace. Do you ever feel anxious? Do you ever feel uptight? I have a tendency to be an uptight person sometimes. I can get wound tighter and tighter and tighter, and then my wife comes over and squeezes my shoulder. Honey! I'm like, yes, that's why my head hurts. Because I carry my tension in my shoulders and my shoulders get higher and higher and higher. Why? I'm not being of good comfort. I'm not living at peace. Don't raise your hand. But is there someone in your house that's like this? Maybe it's you. I was with someone recently that was this way. I couldn't figure out why I was having so much trouble getting along with them. I'm like, what is my problem? Then I realized I was just so uptight. And then I realized somebody else walked in the room and they're having problems with the other person in the room. And then somebody else walks in the room and they're having problems with them too. And then I suddenly realized, wait, oh, here's the problem. And later I asked my wife, I asked Laura, I said, did you notice how this person is always uptight, going here, going there, never still, never calm, never, I suddenly realized it, never at peace. And it was coming out in every relationship. When you and I are not of good comfort ourselves, when we're not resting in the Lord, this is a call to rest in God. This is a call to be at peace, a call to be encouraged. There are times where circumstances are bad and we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. This peace, this encouragement is going to come, though, as we 
walk in obedience to what God has spoken. So as he's calling them to be of good comfort, how are they going to comfort themselves? Surrender to what God has said. Be obedient to God. Let go. If they start letting go of offenses, let go of hurts, deal with our own sin, we're going to be at comfort, in comfort. I remember one of the worst feelings as a teenager is when God showed me sin in my life. And there would be so much turmoil. I didn't want to deal with it. Maybe I had lied to someone and I needed to go tell them the truth. I struggled with that for a good while. It wasn't outright lies. It was stretching the truth to make me myself sound more spiritual than I really was. And as God began to show me that, oh, I would wrestle with it. I would just be in misery. And then finally one day I started realizing if the second God shows me my sin, I deal with it, there's peace. What, a, what an amazing revelation. If God shows me sin, deal with it. And I'm of good comfort. I'm encouraged. Yesterday I was dealing with something and I was walking through the grocery store parking lot and all of a sudden, I remembered, rejoice in the Lord. In everything, give thanks. Lord, I don't like those verses right now. I want to wallow in my misery. Y'all ever get that way? I just, uh, let's just enjoy it for a little while. I'm mad, and I want everybody else to be mad, too. Um, but God said, rejoice. And when I begin to walk in obedience to the Lord, and I begin to rejoice, when I become thankful, when I deal with these things, when I accept what God has brought into my life, when I am dealing with the Lord, when I'm walking in obedience to the Lord, there is so much peace. So he calls for them, be perfect, let your own hearts be mended, be comforted, be encouraged, be at peace yourselves. And then when we're doing these things and allowing these things, See, that's my problem. I don't like allowing these things sometimes. But when I allow these things, I can begin to deal with others. So let's look at these actions to do with others. The first he says here, be of one mind. Be of one mind. This is really hard. I have trouble knowing my own mind sometimes. How am I going to have the same mind as somebody else? We all like to change our minds a lot from time to time. But he's calling for unity. This is needed very much because if you look in chapter 12 and verse 20, for I fear lest when I come, I shall find you such as I would, um, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not, lest there be debates, envyings, wraths, strifes, that's self-ambition, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults. They had some problems. They had some problems with one another. And they were going to continue to have these problems as long as they were not of the same mind. They needed to think the same thoughts. They needed to be walking in agreement. If you look over at uh, 1 Peter First Peter chapter, I didn't write the verse down here. Let's flip over there. First Peter chapter five, 
Peter is um, dealing with the church at Rome. Paul has recently been executed. He's encouraging the church at Rome to stand strong as the persecution of Nero is about to take place. And he gives them very similar words. Um, he tells them, I think it's chapter 4. He says almost the same thing. He begins, finally, brethren. But I don't see it. Anyway, look that up later. First Peter. Do you find it? Yes. Chapter 3 and verse 8. Finally, be ye of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Look how he starts here. Be ye of one mind. How are you going to survive persecution? You're going to have to be unified as a body. You're going to have to work together, have the same mind. But this is only possible if we're unified around truth. If we have the mind of Christ, this is not a call to compromise. Let me say it again. This is not a call to compromise. There are some things that you and I should never compromise for in the name of unity. That happens far too frequently today. Oh, well, um, now we need to be at unity, so I'm going to ignore this. Oh, this brother has departed from truth. Oh, well, you know, we need to be at unity. Obey the scriptures, be at unity. And yet we ignore a whole vast host of other verses telling us to deal with these things. And I was thinking about it this morning. It's like this hula hoop here. We could call this the circle of truth. And as long as we're all in the circle of truth together, we're going to be unified. Amen? Can two walk together except they be in the same circle of truth? I'm sorry. I mean, except they be agreed. We need to be in agreement. I understand that he's talking about God. We need to be in agreement with God. But if every one of us as believers are in agreement with God... We're going to be unified. What a wonderful, amazing truth. As I've said, this is not a call to compromise. Some things we never compromise. Number one is the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is something we should never, ever be willing to compromise on. Salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He finished the work on the cross. He was buried and he rose again the third day. We should never compromise on that. And the moment one of us step out of that, we're no longer unified. But what is sad is the moment a brother in the circle says, wait, 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 brother, brother, but wait, 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 you just walked away from the gospel. He gets thrown out of the circle. Why? He's not walking in unity. Well, I thought it was that guy that stepped out of the circle. He walked away from truth. Yet the guy calling attention to that, who's trying to pull him back into the circle, is the one that gets stoned. Another thing we never compromise on, first of all, the gospel. Secondly, biblical truth. There are truths set forth so clearly in the word of God. 
I'm not talking about this family does this this way and this family does this that way. And because this family wears, uh, this, family wears this clothing article and our family doesn't, oh, pfft, that's done. That's it. We can come with so many things to find arguments and squabbles about that are utterly ridiculous and not clear biblical truth. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a clear biblical truth that is laid out in the law of God and then is reestablished in the poetic books. And then you see it in the prophets and you see it in the gospels and you see it in the epistles. When you find a truth and you trace it through the Bible, stay in the circle of that truth. Don't be willing to leave it. It doesn't matter who leaves it. And if somebody steps away from truth, you grab them by the hand and try to pull them back. So we never compromise on the gospel. We never compromise on biblical truth. We never compromise on sound doctrine. When Martin Luther was called before that council and he knew he might be about to be executed, what did he say? Here I stand. Sorry, not getting out of the circle. Actually, he didn't say sorry. I'm not getting out of the circle. And had it not been from friends that showed up with horses and snatched him away and took him to safety, Martin Luther would have gone and would have been killed, probably burned at the stake. Why? Because he wouldn't step out of the circle of doctrinal truth. Here I stand. What I have said, I believe. It's by faith. The Pope can't save me. He can't condemn me to hell. Jesus Christ has saved me. That's where I stand. There are some doctrines that you and I should never be willing to step away from. There are biblical morals that we should stay within the circle of. For example, in the very beginning of Scripture, at the beginning of the Word of God, God states very clearly that God made two genders, male and female, created he them. That is an area we should never be willing to compromise on. There are not three. There are not four. It doesn't matter what government agency says it or what denomination says it. Within the circle of God's truth, he said there is male and there is female, period. And when somebody starts to step out of that, we grab them and say, oh, no, brother, brother, brother. Look, look, look. We do it with kindness. We do it with gentleness. We do it with love. But we pull out the Bible and we, we ask questions. We get them back to the circle of God's truth. God said marriage is between one man and one woman. And when we follow that through the scriptures, we say this is a circle I'm not leaving. There is some truth that we should be willing to die for that we should be willing to stand for, that we should be willing to lose a job for. So compromise is not unity. That's doing things Satan's way. But if we are going to be of one mind, we have to all stand within that same circle of God's truth. And when we are united around truth, we will be strong. The church will be a powerful force when we are united around the truth of God's word. It's a wonderful thing when we sit down and take the word of God and we open it. I was sharing with our son, Josiah, this week, who's about to become a teenager. And there are some things we do in our family. When one of our kids becomes a teenager, we call it the Baptist bar mitzvah or our Baptist mitzvah. And... Um, we did that with Josiah this week because we're going to be gone on his birthday. We'll be in Louisiana with my parents. I'll be preaching there at their church. And um, 
So we did that this week. And as Laura and I were doing some Bible studies with him, I shared with him some things that as a 16-year-old, I began to struggle with, some decisions that I made when I became a teenager. And I didn't like those decisions anymore. And so I explained that I went to the bathroom floor about four o'clock in the morning. I'm not a morning person. That meant I was serious with God if I was up at four o'clock. I don't like germs. If I'm on my face on the bathroom floor at four o'clock in the morning, you know I've gotten serious with God. And I opened my Bible, and as I'm questioning things that God has already taught me, I got down on my face, and I opened my Bible to Genesis chapter 1, and I said, God, this is what I want to believe. This is what my parents say. Prove it to me. And whichever way you show me, I'll do. So I started reading Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and there was nothing to do with my situation right there. So I kept reading. And I read, and I read, and well, it wasn't until chapter 2. Wow, I was, I mean, by chapter 2, I was already struck with a very important truth. And I get to chapter 3, and chapter 4, and chapter 5. Anyway, I didn't make it all the way to the end of Genesis before I got up off the bathroom floor and said, never mind, God. My parents were right on that. I'm going to do it your way. And so from that day on, it wasn't about doing my mom and dad's thing anymore. It was about doing God's thing. There was a circle now, and I said, okay, God, here it is. I'm going to step on it. I'm going to step in it. And God, keep me in the center of your will. And I was so grateful this week that as, as we shared some of those scriptures with Josiah and we studied with Josiah, that Josiah made some decisions some similar things that I had decided. And what unity there is when within a family, when a, within a family unit, we're going to the word of God and we're studying it together and we're walking in God's truth together. We're united together. If you flip over to Ephesians chapter four, and then we'll move on. Paul is discussing the issue with the church at Ephesus of unity. And in chapter four and verse three, well, actually, let's back up to verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, unity is going to mean we have to put up with each other sometimes. The irritating things. There are some times we have to be long-suffering as a brother comes to understand truth. But endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice the unit of the Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. He is the one that unifies us. He brings unity and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So the moment a brother says, oh, I mean, God's not really in me. I mean, the Holy Spirit doesn't abide in me. He doesn't dwell in me. Somebody has stepped out of truth as we just read it. He is in us. What an awesome truth. The Holy Ghost of the living God abides in me. He speaks to me. He speaks through me. What a powerful thing. Stay in the truth. And he's listing all of these things. And this is what's going to bring unity when they realize they have one Lord, Jesus Christ. One faith. One baptism. Verse 7. 
but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And he talks about um, spiritual gifts there for a moment, but why does he give spiritual gifts? Specifically, he's talking about here apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Notice that, till we all come. It's a process. Don't expect perfection with your brothers and sisters. Don't expect to agree 100% with everybody. But as we are studying the scriptures together, there are some things we don't step away from. We stand for truth. We teach truth. But there is a process till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children. And here's the disunity, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Why do people get tossed to and fro? Why are we tempted to step out? Because this right here, it's not always convenient. I don't like this today. I'm being tempted to sin today. And if I believe this, I can't do what I want to. But if I step over here, I can do what I want let me find a verse for that. And we find a verse that we think backs up us stepping over here. And we take the word of God deceitfully. Oh, wait, what does he say next? Every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, that is shifting truth to crafting it to make it sound good, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things sorry, into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. How do we keep the bond? How do we keep unity? We speak the truth in love. So this command to be of one mind is not a command to compromise. It's a, compro it's a command to think the same things, to have the mind of Christ. When we have the mind of Christ, when we are serving one another, when we are loving one another, when we are gently speaking the truth of God to one another, we are able to keep one another in that bond of peace. And we're able to be unified with one mind but he gives a second part to this, a second command to do with others that promotes our unity as a body. He says, live in peace. Live in peace. What's he talking about? He's saying, don't be this person. Um, excuse me, did I see you do that? Oh, wait, did you say this? Oh, back here, back here. You didn't say that, right? You, you, you misquoted that verse. You, you, this, you, oh, that skirt, oh my, are, are you sure? This blouse, this, this. And we start criticizing everything somebody else does. We look for things to find in other people. Any of us ever done that? I'm the only one. And y'all think it's funny. We find something to criticize others for. We go looking for it. Instead of speaking the truth, instead of staying in the circle of what God has said, thus saith the Lord, 
we start nitpicking one another. You offended me. You hurt me. What did you mean by what you said? That's an easy way to nitpick somebody else. Live in peace. Act peacefully. But there's three parts to this, honestly, to have peace, to live in peace. Number one, we have, ought to have, we have to have peace with God. If you and I don't have peace with God, that's why he tells them in verse five, examine yourselves. Make sure you're in the faith. Make sure you're in the circle to start with. Make sure you are a child of God. Make sure you have peace with God. Secondly, I would say another thing that we have to do to have peace with others is we have to have peace with ourselves. We have to forgive ourselves for some things. We have to get over ourselves with some things. We have to deal with self. That's why he said, be perfect, mend your own hearts. And then what did he say? Be of good comfort. Because when you and I have our hearts at peace with God, at peace in ourselves, we'll be able to have peace with others. And we'll be standing in the circle of truth and somebody does something we don't like and all of a sudden we go, okay, wait, are they departing from truth or are they departing from my preference? Oh yeah, that one was my preference. You know what, I, they step aside and say, well, you know, they deny Christ. They're stepping away from truth. They deny the Holy Spirit. They're stepping away from truth. They deny salvation by grace through faith. They add to salvation. Whatever the case, they're stepping away from truth. But if I'm seeking to live in peace, I'm not going to be looking for every little thing that I disagree with. I'm keeping my eyes on truth. I'm weighing truth. Picking my battles carefully. Cautiously. And focusing on God's truth. And when we do this, we will be unified. And then what do we see as the actions of God as a result? When you and I deal with our own hearts, when you and I are walking in peace with others, the result is we're going to see two things evident. We're going to see God's love and we're going to see God's peace. What did he say? And the God of love, this is agape love here, and the God of peace, Irene, where we get the name Irene. You know, every Irene I've ever known was, the, Laura and I were talking about it yesterday, the most peaceful people. Just calm, just not in a hurry. They don't find problems with other people. I mean, they just get along and love everybody. I mean, I guess I've gotten in trouble from an Irene before, but I deserved it. Just peaceful women. And he says here, the God of love and peace shall be with you. His love, his peace will be evident in the body of Christ when we are fulfilling these four Let's look at it this way. Let's see the connection between these. Look, first of all, he says, be perfect. If you and I have our hearts mended, we're going to be able to be of one mind with everybody else. And the love of God is going to be evident in our lives and in our church. Now look at this. If we are of good comfort, we are at peace in our hearts, we are encouraging ourselves in the Lord, you and I are, have peace in our hearts, we're going to be able to live in peace with others and the God of peace, his peace will be evident in our lives. That is powerful. What's sad? 
I've got a whole bunch of commentaries at home. And I was looking through all of them. And every single one of them just skimmed over this verse. And I went, the Holy Spirit laid it out so precisely, so exact, that they all can interconnect so well. Now look at the last part of the verse here. He says, sorry, the, the next verse actually, verse 12, greet one another with an holy kiss. If we're going to come to that point where this kind of love, this kind of unity is within the body, we have to deal with ourselves first. If you see a brother falling into sin, check your own heart before you jump on the bandwagon of condemning their sin. Because when God begins to check our heart and change our heart, sometimes God deals with their sin before we even get to say anything about it. Because I deal with myself first. I have to deal with myself first. I have to check my heart first. Sometimes the sin I see in others is just a hurt that's in my heart. And when I deal with the hurt in my heart, no longer is there any problem with them. My wife has taught me this on so many occasions as I've thought she was upset at me about something. And then I questioned her about it. And she said, there is nothing we need to talk about. And then later I asked her, what was the issue? I know there was something going on. And she says, honey, I was the issue. You had hurt my feelings on something that was not wrong. You had done nothing wrong. I was wrong. I had to get my heart right. And once I did, there was nothing to talk to you about because you didn't do anything wrong. What an example of how you and I should be dealing with others. But we need to examine our heart first. Then we are able to encourage others. We are able to reach out to others. We are able to restore others. Our hearts need to be at peace. We need to realize that unity begins in me. Because we can never greet the brethren with a holy kiss unless our heart is right first. So my challenge to you as we come to this time of invitation is to search your heart. Check your heart. Lord, is my heart at peace? Are there things in my heart that need to be mended? And allow the God, the Holy Spirit, to do a work in your heart. And that will be the start of us having a unified church when each one of us have our hearts in tune with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to ask you if you're able to stand together and let's bow our heads. If God has dealt with your heart, I just challenge you to use the altar now or get on your knees in your, at your seat or sit there in your seat and just deal with the Lord. Let's seek God. Allow God to begin a work in each of our hearts that we can have the unified body that Christ longs for us to have. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the clarity, the precision of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would deal with each of our hearts. That if there are hurts, there are offenses, that Lord, we would deal with you, that we would forgive. Lord, that you would mend each of our hearts so that we could find that completion in you that you talk about in your word. We would recognize who we are in you 
and be able to walk in this perfection that you speak of here. Lord, help each one of us to be of good comfort, that we would be encouraged in you, that our hearts would be at peace, and then we could step forward and work on our relationship with others. But Lord, I pray today that we would have your mind and you would begin the work in each one of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we pray, let's take out our hymnals. Let's sing 799. Let's sing it as a prayer to the Lord. 799.